Hey, New Hope and anybody else who's gathered with us online, it's great to see you. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors on staff at New Hope. It's really great to be, uh, let, me, let me just do that one more time. I'll just get into my rhythm. You don't have to stop it. Hey, New Hope and anyone else who is gathered online, it's great to be with you. Uh, great. A little strange like this, but, but great. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors on staff at New Hope. The truth is, I have always wanted to be a, a televangelist. So I feel like this is my moment. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to get a, a Rolex and like a Rolls Royce, maybe a three-piece suit, you know, that type of thing. I'm uh, kidding, uh, of course. <laughs> I have a, uh, a face for, for radio, not TV. But here we are. Strange times that we are living in. I know everyone is tired of talking about the coronavirus, but it's kind of this cloud that is hanging over everything right now. It's sort of inescapable. Even when I go to the grocery store, people are looking at me like, you look a little, maybe just you know, stay over there. You look a little flushed. I think this is especially hard for uh, Oregonians. Oregonians love their freedom. You know what I'm talking about? Right? My, my family uh, lives next to a nature park. Oregonians don't like to be told what to do. So right now, I don't think I've ever seen the nature park more busy than it is. Normally, people are at home watching TV, but as soon as you tell them they have to stay home, then everybody's like, I'm going for a hike. My family is doing their best to kind of abide by the instructions that were being given or the requests that are being made of us. So over the weekend, I went over to New Hope's building to gather together some things for, for like a home office. Uh, I thought, oh, this is good. This is a project that I can like, you know, I can take control over. I'm sure I'm the only person in America who is struggling with a lack of control right now. So I get all this stuff, like a computer monitor, some speakers, a keyboard, a mouse, some books, and I go home and I spend a couple hours setting everything up. I'm a little bit type A when it comes to this sort of thing, so I'm like making sure all the cords are Velcroed together. I even put a, like some nails along the back of my desk so that the cords wouldn't hang down. I felt great, looked good. I was like, yes, this is it's done, completed, finished. To Telstai. That last word might be a little bit unfamiliar to you. That's a Greek uh, word. We are in the second to last week in a series that we've been calling Last Words. We've been following Jesus through Lent and the final phrases, the final words that he spoke in his life on earth. We've been, we've been following these phrases and this week we're going to look at the moment just before Jesus dies and then when he breathes his last breath. So, we talked about last week, Jesus asks for a drink. He says that he's thirsty. And then we pick it up here in John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said to Telestai, or it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. To Telestai is a Greek word that translates to it is finished. When Jesus breathes his last breath, it represents a, a remarkable turning point in human history. 
and the story that we are all a part of. That story goes something like this. God created our world. Everything was good and beautiful, but darkness, sin, death interrupted that goodness. God promised to restore things to their perfect beginning. His chosen people, the people of Israel, they do their best to make that happen, but they can't quite pull it off. So everyone looks forward to uh, a Messiah. Eventually, God straps on human flesh and enters our world as Jesus. And after declaring himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is put to death. And in his death and eventual resurrection, all the darkness that had kind of haunted God's good world was defeated. That's the story. So when Jesus says, it is finished, he's declaring victory over these things. The debt has been paid. The work has been done. And as we look to the cross, we see that because of God's great love, darkness doesn't have the power that it once had over our world, that it once had over us. It is finished. Okay, so true confession, I've been sort of dreading giving this message in light of recent events, I found it sort of difficult to talk about, even think about it, all things being finished. I mean, the theological implications I just laid out are true. What Jesus accomplished on the cross absolutely changed everything. But practically speaking, it doesn't exactly feel like we're finished with darkness in this world. The opposite kind of seems to be true, actually. I mean, it almost feels like things are getting worse. There's a lot of chaos in our world right now. I don't know anyone, anyone who doesn't feel it in some way. You might not be worried about the virus in particular, but there are plenty of other things going on right now. There's a lot of pent-up stress and anxiety in our world. I, I know that I feel it. Uh, the other day I was talking on the phone to, uh, no, it was over the computer to an Amazon representative, like a customer service rep type of a thing. I was returning a package and it looked like I maybe wasn't going to get the refund. And so I was like, you know, like, uh, can you help me? They weren't being very helpful. And it was looking more and more like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get this money back. I was sort of bummed. And the stress of the week just kind of started to catch up to me. And this little incident just kind of made me feel super anxious. I started to get like tight in the chest. My whole body started to get tense. Now, to be fair, I often have that reaction when I'm speaking to a customer service representative. But the other day, it was, it was worse than, than normal. I started to think about everything that's out of control. I was thinking about New Hope, about my kids' school, about my wife's work, about our travel plans for the summer, and, da, da, da. and I'm just like, ah! I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to admit that I had to like lay down and take some, some deep breaths. It doesn't exactly feel like we're living in an it-is-finished world right now. One important distinction that's been helpful for me to reflect on this week is this. It is finished, but it 
isn't over. It is finished, but it isn't over. The work of Jesus is done. Nothing can change that. But the story isn't over. Jesus opened up a door for the great restoration project to to begin, for his kingdom to be established on earth as it is in heaven. But that work isn't done yet. Our world is fallen, but redeemed. It is good, but broken. It is finished, but there is still suffering. It's a a paradox. I don't know about you, but paradoxes are are difficult. (laughs) Here's the thing. Some projects you finish and that's it. They're done. Other projects are finished so that more work can be done. When I finished my office setup, that was a project I completed so that more work could be done. It was finished, but it wasn't over. Imagine me saying to my coworkers, hey, you know, I, I set up my, my home office, so yeah, it's, that's it for me. You know, nothing else to be done. I'm going to, you know, I'll be watching Tiger King on Netflix. I'll see, you, I'll see you after the quarantine. They'd be like, dude, you have to actually use the home office. There's still, there's still work to be done. We live in this already but not yet world. You'll see some graphics come up on the screen that help to illustrate this paradox. So in the beginning, heaven and earth were one. But sin, darkness, death drove them apart. You know the story of Adam and Eve being tempted. This is what Christians mean when they talk about a fallen world. Heaven kind of got kicked out of earth and Jesus wants to bring the two back together. He told us to pray for God's will to be done on earth like it is in heaven. This is what Jesus means when he's talking about establishing a kingdom, a new kind of kingdom on earth. So the cross, this it is finished moment, kind of kicked off this restoration project helping our world to be the way it was meant to be, to bring heaven and earth back together. But it won't be fully restored. It won't be complete until the end of all things. The Bible calls this a new creation or future glory. We live in this in-between space that you see highlighted on your screen right now. There is still suffering on the earth side. But we have hope that one day heaven and earth will be fully reunited and things will be as God created them to be. The world will finally be, truly be, free of darkness and death. On the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't mean there would be no more suffering, no more sin in our world, no more darkness in our world. He was declaring that he had made a way for heaven and earth to be 
reunited as it was prophesied that it would be. The debt has been paid. Sins are forgiven. The kingdom building project has begun. Now we get to work. Later on when Jesus would, was resurrected and he appears to his disciples, he's like, now go out. Go and make disciples. Go get, get to work. It's finished, but it's not over. There's a, a passage in Romans chapter 8 that I think captures this paradox, this in-between space really well. Grab a Bible or turn on your Bible or whatever it is that you do or whatever it is that you're doing at home to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read 18 through 26. I really want to encourage you to participate at home by pulling out a Bible. This is a little bit of a longer passage, so I'd encourage you to kind of follow along and so that you can go back to it later this week and, and reflect on it throughout the week. And as I read this passage, I really want to invite you to think about how it speaks to the moment we find ourselves in right now. These are unprecedented times that we're living in. Things feel a bit out of control. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety. How might this passage that we're about to read speak to us in these days? In my Bible, the passage is titled, Present Suffering, Future Glory. Feels sort of relevant. So look, look, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, God is in control, but in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Does that sound familiar? The whole world seems to be groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this moment, the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits is just a way of talking about this it is finished moment, the, the work of Christ in us. These are the first fruits, the redemption that was begun by Jesus on the cross. We have these first fruits of the Spirit we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. I, I love that 
imagery that even in these uncertain times, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't even know what to pray. I don't even know where to start. And this, this idea that God knows our innermost being, we don't even have to use words for God to know what's going on inside of us. We can just go before God and, and God intercedes on our behalf and just like, I don't know what's happening, God, help. Ah. While there is this present suffering, we read in this passage that we have hope, hope for a new creation when everything will finally be the way it's meant to be, which is not now. Did you catch the most repeated word in, in this passage? Hope. Hope for the future. This is not the end. It's not over yet. Hope is so important for us in these days. Followers of Jesus are people of hope. It's just who we are. Over the summer, uh, my family, we drove our little pop-up tent trailer down to the Redwoods in California. We had a great trip uh, exploring Northern California. And then we had to drive back. The worst part uh, of vacation is driving back, especially when you're really close to, you're so close to home that you can taste it. You're hoping for like the, the future glory that will be a hot shower and your own, own bed. You know the vacation is over and essentially all that's left is suffering. Everybody smells, the car is dirty and you're just like over it. So we were at that point driving back from California, cruising along I-5, just about a few hours from home. The kids were watching a movie, Mariah was reading a book, um, I was listening to an audiobook. I don't, I must have been like really into what I was listening to and kind of spaced out because all of a sudden right there on I-5 pulling a trailer with my young children in the car, I ran out of gas. So we kind of limped over to the side of the road. I know, I know what you're thinking. It was not the proudest moment in my life. It may have even been a bottom 10 moment. I try not to think about it that often. We uh, quickly decided, okay, we're gonna call an Uber to come and pick us up. We'll go and get gas, come back to the car, everything will be fine. We scurried up kind of, you know, under an overpass behind like some big concrete barriers so that we wouldn't get hit on the side of the road. And we're sitting there under this overpass and my daughters are being really cool about it but they're kind of looking at me with these eyes and I can just tell that they're thinking you know I don't know anything about driving or cars but I'm pretty sure this is all your fault dad they didn't say that but I could just tell that that's what they were thinking with their eyes my wife kind of whispers to me about the uber driver she's like is this gonna work and I'm like I, I'm thinking I need to project confidence. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's no problem. Yeah, yeah, well, this will work out just fine. But inside, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, I have no idea if this is going to work. I've, I've never done anything like this before. The Uber driver is going to have to find us on the side of the industry. I'm like freaking out. I don't know if it's going to work, but I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. 
I didn't know for sure, but I had hope. And I, I clung to that hope in my uncertainty. My hope wasn't naive. I had good reason to hope. I spoke to the Uber guy on the phone. Well, the truth is, I didn't know for sure what was going to happen. That's what hope is. Hope is faith in things unseen. The Uber driver did eventually show up. It was like, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes later, which felt like a really, really long time. My hope was definitely put to the test, but thank God everything worked out in the, in the end. Some people look at hope in a situation like that or in any situation, in the situation we find ourselves in now, and think it's naive, it's foolish, or, or whatever. You can understand why some people might feel that way. Life can be really hard. It, it just, it can. Our world is pretty messed up. But here's the key. Hope doesn't dismiss the darkness of our world. It's not indifferent to it. Hope is fully aware of how messed up our world is, yet it perseveres. It's, it courageously presses forward. It allows us to stare darkness in the face and say, that's not all there is. It might be finished, but it isn't over. This is not the end of the story. We don't plug our ears with hope and say, ah, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. I don't want to know. Pretend there's no suffering in the world. No. We stare the darkness right in the face and say, but there is hope. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He suffered, but he knew there was more to come. Hope isn't naive. It's courageous. It's courageous. Ellie Wiesel is a, a survivor of the Holocaust, and he's a really well-known, highly regarded author. And he writes a lot about his experience of being in Auschwitz during World War II. So a guy like that, as you can imagine, has some real credibility on suffering and hope. He says these words. People say occasionally, that there must be light at the end of the tunnel. But I believe in those times there was light in the tunnel. The same, the strange way there was courage in the ghetto and there was hope, human hope in the death camps. Simply an anonymous prisoner giving a piece of his bread to someone who was hungrier than he or she. A father shielding his child. A mother trying to hold back her tears so her children would not see her pain. That was courage. Christ followers are people of hope. We believe that there's not just light at the end of the tunnel. Our hope helps us to believe that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but there's also light in the tunnel. The light shines even in the darkest 
of days. And we have the opportunity in this season to be that light in the tunnel for our families or in our neighborhoods or even online. The other day, we got a, a text from our neighbor, Robin, who happens to be a, a new hoper. And she said, hey, you know, I'm going, I'm at Costco already and the lines are crazy long. Would you like me to bring something back to the neighborhood for you? And we were like, no, no, no. We love waiting in line at Costco. We, we think it would be good and responsible for us to go and add to the crowd over there and, and we'll, we'll take care of it ourselves. No, of course not. We were like, yes, that's incredible. Thank you so Thank you so much. This is this tiny little act of kindness. Never underestimate the way a small act of kindness communicates hope to someone. Like he was talking about a, a prisoner sharing bread with another prisoner who was just a little bit hungrier than they were. Are there ways in your life right now where you can share with someone who's just a little bit hungrier than you are? You know, this whole thing, it can bring out the best in us or it can bring out the worst in us. And you are in control of that. You are in control of how you respond to this whole situation. We can choose to spread hope or something else. Anger, impatience, fear, selfishness. There are countless ways for the worst in us to come out in these days. But there are countless ways for the best to come out. It takes courage to live that way. It takes courage to hope, to be a person of hope, to be a light inside of the, the tunnel. I do want to remind us that there is a difference between sounding hopeful and really being hopeful. And there's a difference between hope and optimism. Not that there's anything wrong with being an optimist. Yay, optimist, we, we love you. But sometimes optimism doesn't fully live in reality. That's not a diss, but it, it's just a distinction between optimism and hope because hope always lives in reality. Hope acknowledges the darkness and courageously chooses the light. Optimism, it's a little easier, frankly. Hope is hard. If there is no pain, no suffering in your hope, it might not actually be hope. It might be something different. Think about Jesus. Suffering was a necessary part of his journey, and he invites us into that journey. Think about that. Suffering was a necessary part, part of his journey, and he invites us to suffer alongside of him. Wow. I know there are all kinds of feelings about what's going on. Some think it's blown out of proportion. Others are legitimately struggling. I know some introverts are living their best life right now. Regardless, I want to encourage us to let people be where they are without shame, without judgment. And I want to remind us that, that hope, to be people of hope, that's not a, a ah, cheer up, it's not that bad. That's not hope. Hope is, it's pretty bad, actually. It's pretty bad. Yeah. But this isn't 
the end of the story and we will get through this. And I'll be here to serve and to love you until we get there. That's hope. These are strange times <laughs> we're living in. There's no use in denying that. There's a lot of suffering going on right now. Sickness aside, I know businesses are struggling. People have lost their jobs. Many people are feeling isolated and alone. The mental health implications of losing so much control, not knowing when it's all going to be back to normal, what's normal going to be like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Still, I want to remind us that suffering, even death, is not the worst thing that can happen to us. I know that's not a popular opinion, and I'm not downplaying anyone's suffering. But I say that because of the deep and profound hope I have that God is good, God is just, and in the end, God will be good, and God will be just. Jesus gave us this example. Even as he suffered and died, he had hope. We do everything we can to avoid suffering in this culture. And there's no shame. It's not inherently wrong. But I want to gently and lovingly remind us that suffering isn't the end. It's not the worst thing that can happen. Even death is not the end. There is Resurrection. Resurrection is coming. We have hope for the future. As it says in Romans, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. People of hope. I was reminded this last week uh, what a real person of hope looks like. Our staff team received the, the difficult news that that Jeannie Schmidt, married to Jerry Schmidt, has received a very serious cancer diagnosis. And this week, she's going to be sent home from the hospital to hospice. Jerry and Jeannie, for those of you who don't know who they are, they were one of the, the founding families of New Hope over almost 50 years ago. And Jerry has been on staff the entire time. They are remarkable people. I admire them both a lot. We would invite you to be praying for, for Jerry and, and Jeannie, of course, for healing. Pray for their kids, Mindy and, and Jay. If you want to send a message of love and encouragement to them, I'd ask you to do it through email so they don't get overwhelmed with messages and feel like they have to respond to everyone. So you can actually just email at info at newhopepdx.org and we'll compile your messages and pass them along. Earlier this week, Pastor John talked to, to Jeannie while she was in the hospital, talked to her on the phone. And wouldn't you know it, Jeannie talked about how she, she wanted to be an encouragement to others, an example to others in her final days here on earth. That's not normal. 
there's something else going on inside of Jeannie that allows her to be thinking like that. She is a person of hope. She knows that even death is not the end. She has the hope of heaven in her heart. Does that mean she isn't scared? No. Does that mean there isn't grief and pain and suffering? Of course there is. Hope doesn't ignore the darkness. It says, ah, this is pretty bad. But it's not the end of the story. And we will get through this. Let's pray together right now. God, would you, would you allow uh, Jeannie Schmidt to be an example to us in these days, what it looks like to be a person of great hope? God, we do pray that you would heal her. We know that you have the, have the ability to do that. If it be your will, God, humbly, that is what we want right now. But however you choose to act, God, would you help Jeannie to cling to hope, help Jerry and Mindy and Jay to cling to hope that this is not the end, there is resurrection. And help us, God, in these days, these uncertain days, to cling to hope, knowing that there's, there's new life on the other side. And that even now there is light inside of what feels like a, a dark tunnel. Help us to be that light. Help us to live as people of hope, as people of the light. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.